Welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, episode 5. I'm Chris. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. Welcome back, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How was your Christmas? Yeah, <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> nah, it was it was good, yeah. Uh, it didn't feel... You know what didn't feel Christmassy? It was, it's been raining and warm. It's... Yeah, I don't know. There's something about that. I know different parts of the world, it's obviously warm at Christmas, but there's something strange about this one. Like Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. I like green Christmases, though. Ah, I, 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 I would prefer to be able to decorate a palm tree on Christmas. I know that's... Aaron almost spilled his drink. He was so scandalized by that statement. Wow. Aaron, please tell us what your current drink of choice is. Coffee. Half coffee. Quarter whiskey. Quarter cream. Wow. I... Does, and it tastes like butt. Yeah, it kind of tastes like cigarette butts. <laughs> and it's only 9 p.m., though, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, so on this podcast, we wanted to talk about a few things. Particularly, when this podcast is going up, it will be officially the Feast of the Holy Name, a.k.a. Wednesday the Wednesday after, after circumcision. circumcision. Yeah, that's true. Which is amazing. Whereas right now... Are we going to talk about that one, or what are we talking yeah. about today's as well? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna mention today too briefly because on today is uh, we are recording on the twenty eighth of December, which is the feast of the Holy Innocents, which were the children that were massacred. Yeah, I do like the the phrasing of it. All the isn't it infant men had to be slaughtered. Can you imagine the guile of Herod though? Like he, I know the numbers are. Actually, even in Father Butler's, yeah, even in Father Butler's text, he says like some of the ancient sources probably exaggerated the numbers. Like people were saying up to fourteen thousand. Oh, because I think they they also thought surrounding villages may have also been slaughtered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was quite a few either way. So three or four hundred. That's what I remember. It's three or four hundred. Sure. Is it? Yeah. I don't, well, what I read, I don't think he came down on a firm number. Oh but, no. Okay. But yeah, they're considered the first. I guess they're 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 almost proto martyrs, but they are considered martyrs. Yeah, they are. Yeah. No. Whoa. Saint Stephen's the proto martyr. He is the martyr first martyr. Yeah. Before proto martyr. Yeah, but he but they were martyred for Christ like yeah. before. I refuse. No, no, no. Proto martyrs means you know the proto evangelium is before the gospel. Yeah. So these are proto martyrs. They're before the first martyrs. Oh. Yeah. Okay. They're like prototypes. <laughs> Prototype. There you go. Fine. Yeah. I I think, what was it? Was it from the Liturgy of the Hours? Yes, I pray the Novus Ordo Liturgy of the oh, Hours. We, we, you can you can anathematize me later. But um, I think it, one of the prayers today was talking about how the infant king uh, crowns the infants today. Yeah. You know, like, that's so cool. <clears throat> Yeah, and the way Father Butler talked about it in, that's a thing, like Butler's Lives of the Saints has gone under so many revisions. All the, the ones you read now are, have basically nothing to do with what Reverend Alvin Butler wrote back in, I think in the 18, 17 or 1800s. But um, yeah, he talks about it from a different angle, how like these, these, these children were spared, like they were growing up in a pagan world. They were spared time where they, who knows what, you know, vices and sins they could have fallen into. You know, the world lays a bunch of traps and how few of them potentially would have made it to paradise. Whereas, you know, seeing it like that is a very different perspective. That's a perspective of a saint. <laughs> and I know he's not canonized, but 
looking at things like, um, yeah, like death, um, and, and seeing it from the point of view of God that the, they, yeah, they received crowns for this. Um, he, he has some choice words even for their mothers. Like they just, their mothers, he, I forget what he actually said, but foolish, I think was brought up that, that they just didn't know that the, the gift that their children were being given then. And with good reason, I well, mean, the gospel hadn't been proclaimed. Yeah. They didn't have the gospel then. Yeah. But, so but, they were weeping. In but the I think the point is like when she, foolish mothers, just is like foolish Aaron for like, why are you bummed out that, yeah. you know, your Bailey's doesn't taste good in your coffee. Like that's part of God's plan. Like all suffering yeah. is part of God's plan. Even when it's something as horrific as the Holy Innocence or the Novus Ordo, I just, <laughs> I just meant in the oh sorry, even, what were you even in, you know, but even in the post gospel world, it's pretty shocking to read that still. Yeah. And like you and I, well, we're all used to reading kind of more traditional Catholic resources, but that stood out to me. And yeah. then I actually sent it to Aaron right away. Just cause yeah. I was like, wow, this is a, this is a good good paragraph here. But yeah, so that's what I've been trying to keep up with the the Butler's Lives of Saints daily. But we can move on to the one that just recently passed in the future. Yeah. Oh, before, before, before we do, though, oh, yeah. I just wanted to say one thing that I hadn't really thought about that I was reading about today was the fact that when those babies were slaughtered, those kids were slaughtered, um, they went to Sheol. Like they, they were, they were in Sheol waiting for the Messiah Mm-hmm. to come in and, and, and hallow hell, you know? So, I mean, that's that's kind of... I never really thought about that, that they, you know, they... Yeah, they were martyred for the faith, you know, for, for Christ, but they had to wait. Yep. <laughs> they, they, they had to wait those 33 years or whatever before they received the fulfillment of the promise. In the bosom of Abraham. In the bosom D- of Abraham. Different yeah. experience than the unjust dead. But, but yeah, they had to wait just like everyone else there. Yeah. Were they thirty three then? Like they just, or were they infants? I think it was. <clears throat> wasn't it all male children under a certain age? So he means like thirty. They would have been. No, 30. no. Were they thirty? Did they like like age as soon as they died? That's what I mean. Oh, oh like the Saint Thomas Aquinas. Everyone is thirty three in heaven. heaven. It's the perfect age, obviously. Yeah. So they immediately aged thirty three years. Well, they didn't have bodies. Well, they had body. Mm. Well, yeah. So it would be in the resurrection of the dead oh, that yeah. they'll get their so thirty-three-year-old so body. Their souls. Their and souls were. Wait. I suppose their souls would have had to be infused with certain capacities. Well, we're getting. Yeah, but why is well, the, the bosom of Abraham? Isn't that is that a real place? Like they had it like under like. Yeah, somewhere but, ab- but, it's but, it's but somewhere no. above the navel and below the head. Yeah. <laughs> 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 But they didn't have bodies. No one had bodies there when our Lord went and saved them. No. No one had bodies. Of course it's a place, though. Yeah, it's a legitimate place. That's that's confusing. Wow. That's that's just like, I've never realized that. I always imagine Abraham and and Adam and Eve, like, in their body form. But they weren't. But Christ was. Would they have been like... Christ went there in his bodily form. Wait, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Sorry, not bodily flight. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. No. The definition of death, form. his soul separated from his body. That's yeah. why we can say God died on the yeah. cross. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, no, but but just like, you know, purgatory. Actually, this would be a very unpopular topic with some people nowadays, but it's long always been considered to be a physical place. And in some mystical sense, like how, how do physical flames purify spiritual souls? And if in like Catholic answers, people are listening right now, they're going to say, well, they don't. It's just a state of being. But no, the fathers of the church were quite clear on this. 
So anyway, get, go dig on. in, dig into go this. On. Yeah. Go on. Well, no, I think it's just one concern I have, and actually, as I've been, you know, delving further into tradition, I think a lot of modern Catholics throw out wisdom of the church fathers and of the traditional faith a little too easily. So there was a there was a good homily uh, recently on Regina Profitarum, where the priest there, I mean, he he made a pretty solid case based on, you know, official church teaching and, you know, numerous saints that, yeah, we, we know that they're non-corporeal beings, but in in some way, there's there's a, a physical place to that as well, whether that's in the earth, I don't know. But, um, and that physical flames are actually part of that purgation process. So anyway, I can't, we probably can't get into the whole thing, but we'll link that in the show notes, that homily, because it's worth a listen. Yeah. But we straight off topic. Circumcision. Aaron can't of, wait. Yeah, speaking of modern people throwing away such good things, like why why was the why was the feast of the circumcision thrown away, and like why do people make fun of it? Yeah, Chris, and, Chris, and, and, Chris and, defend and, that. And why was his foreskin thrown away too? I don't think it was. It was saved. I thought you said it got lost. Well, it got lost. Yeah, I assume like when like you know the vandals came or something, then they they like, raided the church or something. That's usually what happens. Or like. You know, they just bury it and hide it, then they forget where they buried it. What's the significance, Aaron, of the Feast of the Circumcision? It's eight days after Christmas when our Lord was circumcised. Yeah. Uh, it, Why do we celebrate it's, that? It's like the... It's... I don't even know. I was reading St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and we were just talking about how, like, saints like Butler, like, saw things differently. St. Bernard of Clairvaux just saw things so differently. I can't even... Can't even replicate it. But he just talked about it, it was the crowning, and it, like like made our blessed lord's life circular like it ended in blood and it but it also started in blood and he he had a bunch of other parallels just saying how like our lord's life was just like a crown and it just ended and finished the same way and and i i don't know like i um you you wish this life like sometimes you think like oh like this life is so hard and like but like our lord started penance immediately and like by that like eight days into his life so if you're suffering you you shouldn't be surprised i guess that's what i take away from it and i just don't understand why like the feast of the mother of god like what like i love mary but but the circumcision is pretty cool and there's a lot of like you if you just read anywhere there's a lot of cool art and there's a lot of really good homilies on it um that, that just like people used to care about it and i it's it's bizarre to us to think why but they just like, don't you know the jews were bound to this right like circumcision was almost sacramental in that sense, right? That it brought you into God's family. But, you know, it subjected you to a law that nobody could perfectly follow. And so Christ came and he he underwent the same, you know, the same, well, circumcision that he asked people to to go through to join his family. But he, he and then he fulfilled that entire law because he knew we couldn't. And he gave us something much, much better. So, I mean, it's, and it's not just, it is the first time he shed blood for us, but it's also, you know, he came to fulfill the task that he set before man. And it, yeah, and well, and it was, St. Bernardo Quiro says it's just a foreshadowing because he said, yeah. like, all of our members are circumcised. <laughs> giggle, giggle. <laughs> <laughs> all of our like, we're, we're like, because, you know, just, I don't know how St. Bernard was living was probably like, he was, he was restraining every, like, one of his appetites so he was just saying like the christian fulfillment of that is like how we mortify everything mm -hmm. and the baptism is just like a circumcision of the entire body spiritually so feast wow. of the circumcision 
So it's not it's not celebrated in the Novus Ordo then. Uh, not at all. Wow. There's not even a commemoration. Wow. It, it's yeah. not even an optional memorial. Not even an optional memorial. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kept good old Saint Nick, but not not the circumcision. Not the man. circumcision. Now, uh, that's interesting. We were talking earlier um, tonight about how the traditional mass um, has a lot of connections with Judaism, and that's another great example of that. And mm, you know, yeah. the fact that we even honor this actual Jewish thing that he did. You know, um, it, I mean, it was a significant event, of of course, but I mean, like, it's also, you know, it's very, Jew, you know, very Jewish. I just, the significance, like people have just said it. It's almost like our entire Catholic life. Like you just like, oh, our Lord, like the Eucharist or like God dying on the cross. I feel like these things get said so much that they lose their meaning. Like, like, just like if you took it to mental prayer. Not that I would do that, but like if you took like mental prayer, like God was circumcised, that's just a bizarre thing that I'm sure could keep a holy person thinking for for days. And Saint Joseph did it. And Saint Joseph did it. Yeah, what a man! What a yeah. man! Just, can we, can we talk about that? Because that may not be something that people know. So is it is it holy tradition that says that the that Joseph did it? Like, is it? I don't know. Just all the pictures, like it. It's it. Like stained glass in St. Joseph's in Montreal has St. Joseph doing the circumcision. They call it the naming, but he's got a knife. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of art that has St. Joseph doing that. So that's, yeah, that's... It'd be interesting to ask a, like a, oh, a biblical scholar, which none of us are. But I, I mean, I assume you didn't just drive up to like... I'm going to come back to Joe here, Joe's circumcision service. <laughs> and like, you know, bring your baby, like, you know, people were having babies all the time and they're pretty far away from, from, well, actually this was St. Joseph. I didn't mean St. Joseph in that, <laughs> in that title, but, but yeah, so but I, I, I assume this was something that was done locally and yeah, you know, it was. Well, when you read the Maccabees, like, it sounds like everyone just kind of like circumcised themselves. Like it's just like Abraham. You just, I think, would... Like, it was a simpler procedure, too. Like, there's pr pretty good evidence it wasn't like modern circumcision that needs yeah. much more precise... Anyway, we don't have to get into all that. Yeah. But. I mean, the fact that we're spending so much time on circumcision is great. It, just, it's, it's it's such a great topic It for has its own octave. It has its own... It had its own octave. Yeah. What does that mean? It's like, it's bigger than... Uh, I don't know what doesn't have an octave. I don't know. Pick something. The Immaculate Conception. Never had an octave. Did it not have an octave? It must have had an octave. <laughs> Actually, but not all, like a lot of feasts would have an octave day. So I think like even the Feast of St. Lucy had an octave day where there's a commemoration on the eighth day. But like, don't, in the don't take this away from me. No, in the but, liturgical calendar, Aaron's right. It says, you know, Thursday after circumcision, Thursday Friday after, after circumcision. So, I mean, you know, it was elevated. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think it's time. We, I think we, no, we're done. <laughs> but I did have another question, though. So uh, so I was listening to this talk today from these two Jewish converts to the Catholic faith. Um, and they one of them was saying that they had brought their son. They're Canadian. So they had brought their son uh, to be circumcised on the eighth day. Um, but in Canada, um, you actually have to have a pediatrician who is also like completely vetted by the Jewish community, come and do it. 
in like the the actual circumcision service, and it sounds like it's done in synagogue. Like if they still do a bris ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. So that's done outside. Like a lot of them are done for people who still do them are in hospitals. But oh, are they? Well? I guess in these Jewish communities, they they want it done as part of like a more ceremonial. Yeah. So. Yeah, they. Yeah. I was like, they put. I was. They like put sweet wine in the baby's mouth to stop him crying. Like just like you know. I don't. Know, I was just. I was listening to it. I can't remember where I was hearing that. Cut that out. Take that back. I couldn't do that thought. What well, yeah. uh, is it? Is it just because they like were trying to just make them stop crying afterwards? Or yeah, before? afterwards. Question. Awesome. Wow. That was, that was a great conversation, boys. So uh, another thing that we were talking about previously um, was uh, you guys have been really digging Father Mark Goring, a charismatic priest from originally Canadian, but yeah, living Quebec, living in, in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell the people. About your, I have my hands up in the air already. I'm excited. About oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's. Um, he, he's surrendering to the idea of this. Uh, Father Mark Goring, his his masculinity is amazing. Uh, he just he's declared war. Who who else has done that? When was the last time you heard a priest say something like that? I'm surprised he hasn't been shut down. Um, yeah, he's just like I, he's 2000, yeah. 2019 is the year of war. He's like. I love it. Like, there's years of mercy, there's years of whatever. Well, I'm going to declare the, the 2019 to be the year of war. Just, I don't know who he the, is. The year of war against... Corruption in the church. Homo, heresy, corruption. Like, yeah. he even calls it out. He calls it out, so... So, he... Yeah, he's a priest that... It sounds like he was born and raised in uh, the Ottawa area of what, Canada. Became a seminarian in, like, Quite 18, 18 or 19. At 18 years old. But he's been a priest for yeah. 16 years now. He's... Companions, a very charismatic order, which like yeah. naturally I would shy away from. But this guy, he just seems legit, and like, it seems amazing. So he does. And actually, this is one thing we kind of discussed this on a little, little bit of a test episode there, Chris. But one thing I have noticed that I think there are a lot of sensible people in the traditional movement. A lot for however you know, some of them are grumpy, but I think there are a lot of sensible people there. But one place where, you know, a lot of people I've met in this area, some of the more sensible Catholics I know are also charismatic Catholics. And you know, looking at them from externals, they seem to be at polar opposites of church tradition. But you have a past as a charismatic. And I was wondering if you could explain why there are so many sensible people in there and also how you jump from charismatic Catholicism right into tradition. Like, it's it mm. seems like... You know, I didn't go through that journey, so I don't really understand it. But do, okay. you, do you mind covering that a bit? Sure. So I think I'll, I'll answer the second question first. So why why do traditional or why do charismatic uh, Catholics make the jump into traditional uh, Catholicism? Um, succinctly, I would say that it is because um, traditional Catholicism um now is way more accessible than it was back in the day. And so you're seeing a lot more Catholics having access to it. Um, but charismatic Catholics, if they're authentic, and, and I would say that many of them are, um, I would say that those who are serious about it are, are looking for an authentic spirituality, um, an authentic experience of what it, what it means to be Catholic in 
reality, not just uh, an intellectual head knowledge kind of thing, but um, is looking for that experience of the faith. Um, and so the, the charismatic experience somewhat offers that. Um, but I would say that <laughs> once you start tasting real spirituality, it's kind of like, you know, there's some salt put on your tongue and you start to thirst more and you realize that, you know, in these, in these charismatic circles that you come up a little short. Um, and so you have to start digging, um, if you want to continue to remain fed and then you start reading the writings of the saints and things like that. And that's, that's immediately like you're, you're dead meat. As soon as you start doing that, you start digging into the, the depths and the, the riches of tradition. Um, you, you'll, quickly find yourself um, really longing for an experience of that traditional faith, um, especially in the traditional liturgy. You can't look at the teachings of the church and then go to a, a charismatic healing mass um, where there's clapping and tambourines and all these things and think, you know what, this is the one true sacrifice of the cross, you know, made present, you know, again, um, represented uh, to us. Like, you can't do that. Um, it doesn't make sense. And so, you, yeah, for me, that was how I found myself. Yeah, that's how I found myself in traditionalism. You know, I, I found myself longing for that, the depths of of that fullness of the faith. And you in can't your, find... Like in your relationship with our Lord, right? Like that's what you <laughs> said. That's what you, which I could see a lot of parishes, you go in and it just seems everyone's kind of dead in the faith. And then... Yeah. You go to charismatic events and it's like energizing and people have genuine like love of our Lord. And yeah. then, yeah. And then you made the step. Yeah. And I think, and what's the, I have a question. Sure. What's like, so charismatics have a genuine, like they love our Lord, they pray. And if you walk into a Latin mass kind of cold off the streets, you wouldn't really think people loved our Lord or like did any sort of mental prayer. So like what, what made you jump to the Latin mass to like, cause you, you've said that you think the Latin mass has a deeper, like gives you a deeper intimacy with our Lord. Like what, what I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump as far as to say that I would walk into a Latin mass and think that people don't pray. I think the, the actual complete opposite of that. I think that there are people who do pray, um, I but I just, but, and I mean, someone like coming in, like who, what, who is like, like wasn't like if you came in, you'd I can some people come into Latin mass are a little off put. Like just, you said, it it almost looks like it. it looks, on first glance, it is a bit more intellectualized, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's more in your head than in your heart. Yeah, or it, or it can come off that way. Okay. Yeah, it, it can, you know, it can come across that way. But I, for me, like, yeah, it was the mass itself that that drew me into it. Um. It was that experience of looking at the way that the priest was saying mass um, and the way that the people would respond to that, you know, in reverence and um, and in silence. That that was what drew me, um, especially coming from more of a Carmelite background. Um, but, you know, it it did have a it did have an impact. Um, so yeah. do, do you think Father Mark Goring is going to red pill and go to the Latin Mass soon? I don't. And and here's the thing. I think it's very interesting. There's, um, there's a couple groups. The Companions is a good example of it. 
Um, there are the Franciscans of the Holy Spirit um, as well. Um, the, so the companions, they're studying, there's a majority of them studying at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. Um, a bunch of them are learning the traditional Latin Mass. Um, and really? yeah, cool. there's a, there's yeah. a few of them there. The Franciscans of the Holy Spirit, again, um, a little bit more of a, a charismatic order, but they're learning traditional Latin mass. So I think we met a couple of them in Detroit at the Institute of Christ. At the Latin mass there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You say that. Or, yeah. So I, they're a charismatic order. Cool. They're a charismatic order. You know, they, they're open to the, the quote unquote charisms. Um, but yeah, they have a love for the liturgy, a love for our Lord. And so to them, they are able to reconcile the more charismatic expressions of prayer outside of the liturgy, um, with a more traditional approach to liturgical worship, which I think, you know, if I, if I'm honest with myself, I find myself more accepting of that, um, I, I know that, you know, there are some issues with the charismatic movement, but like I said before, there are some legitimately really good charismatics out there. And you were saying like, there are some really intelligent, good Catholics, like, you know, people like, um, Dr. Ralph Martin, you know, I mean, solid, solid. And I mean, he's, he's been calling out church corruption and things like that for a long time. Um, so it's... Yeah, I don't mean to sound surprised that there's this like strange alliance between traditionalists and charismatics because obviously there are good Catholics in the charismatic yeah. circles. But it was just it's interesting in this area. Like I count a lot of them as friends, and I know they've come out of charismatic circles. And I just I just found that kind of more than just more than just coincidence. And there's they have some correlation. The there. most vocations, people who are still charismatics in our diocese. This that's where actually all our vocations are. Um, so, yeah. but I would say in our diocese in particular, the 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 charismatic movement has been the only thing in this diocese that has been working actively to evangelize, to offer things, especially for young people, um, on a bigger scale, um, to to teach them the faith. I don't I don't see. Um, and this is one of my biggest beefs of traditional Catholicism, and I do have one. I do have a few. But my one of my biggest beefs is the fact that um, I hear all the time, you hear in traditional circles, um, well, we don't, we don't need youth ministry at all because of the fact that if parents are doing their damn job, they, they will teach their kids the faith and you will put youth ministers out of a job. Um, and I think, okay, that's that's a fair thing to say, but there, at and this I, point, there are a lot of people, a lot of young people who are, A, outside of the church, who have no connection to it um, and may never hear about it, even within Catholic, the Catholic school systems, especially in the high school system. I've, I've worked as a youth minister. I know that, you know, 99% of the kids in Catholic high school don't have a clue what the church really teaches. Um, and I think that title comes with some baggage, though, youth ministry, right? I mean, yeah, I would, there's a long tradition of catechetics. Bosco? Yeah, Bosco, catechetics like, for children. That was right? youth ministry. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's funny that Father Butler's, the second half of his 
you know, right up on the Holy Innocence. Like the full second half of it was the importance of catechizing these young innocent minds too. That's where he went in the in that po- in that sorry in that entry in the lives of the saints. So it's interesting you bring that up because yeah. it clearly has a traditional foundation. Yeah, and I and I agree with that. I think if we do look at Saint John Bosco and his and his approach, I mean, if you if you look at the actual legitimate fruit, something like twelve hundred priests from Saint John you know, St. John Bosco's, you know, influence. I mean, that's a lot. It might've actually been more. It might've even been 12,000. I can't remember, but it was a high number of vocations, yeah. you know, just because of the fact that he went around and he would do things like he learned how to do magic tricks and he learned how to do these different things, you know, um, these unconventional ways of trying to speak to children and to get them interested in the faith. Um, yeah. And I don't see that, that that is being done in traditional circles, especially, you know, outside of um, outside of the four walls of the church. That's you know, like we've connected youth ministry with Life Teen Masses, yeah. which Life Teen Masses is what, well, Life Teen was what brought me back. But yeah, we have like yeah. a bad you, association. You, you, you and Billy Griffith. He, oh. he says that in his in cool. the podcast too. Right? Yeah, Life Teen. But um, yeah, so like trads just connect that with bad masses. But no, there's a, there's a lot of great things that you can do. Like we should just start ringing bells after mass and catechizing people who come up. Like that's yeah. what the saints did. They just, they just rang bells and, and then just like people walked up and they did catechesis after mass. That's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. Just changing the word, people would have a lot less problem with it. Yeah. Instead of calling it youth ministry, call it catechetics. Well, maybe people just need to get over that. Yeah. But yeah. I think I think you're you were a fine youth minister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice thanks, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> no, but the the thing that I I really think is the reason why the the charismatic movement has so many vocations in comparison in this diocese is just because they're doing well, way more, way more, and um. You know what? I I'm gonna say it. Like, don't say it. Don't do it. We need to step it up. That's no. it. Well, okay. That's it. <laughs> and 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 if if they um, they shouldn't have the, the ability to say that they do better catechesis than we do. I don't want to sound like a whining trad Catholic, but like it's hard when you are pushed out to the outskirts of your diocese in the middle of the afternoon and people are driving anywhere from half an hour to an hour away. Just to get to mass, and then everyone's hungry afterwards. And I'm gonna get super trad. You don't have Opus Day funding because a lot of our <laughs> and Jews, but <laughs> no, but like, like, yeah, the Charismatics. I feel like I need to appease the trad audience. Like they have a lot of Opus Day funding. Like everything in London is Opus Day Charismatic, like the FFI. So just just throwing it out there. Yeah, the FFI is an interesting thing. Like they're doing a lot of a lot of interesting work. You know, for the the, the the young and the college age kids. It's great. Yeah. Like my old roommate was, was amazing. Like he was such a better Catholic than I was. It was just cool. He just cared about people and he went out and volunteered and did stuff. That was, that's, that's what we're missing is just doing stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. We, we try. We have extra, <laughs> we, we have, we set up extra feast days and yeah. 10 or 12 people show up. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. And we've got really kick-ass uh, coffee Sundays. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We work hard on those ones. Ah, sure. those bottles of whiskey. It'd be hard to bring into the church. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. But uh, 
in, interestingly enough, in the church right now, there's a lot of talk about the future of the Latin Mass with the whole thing with um, Ecclesia Day, the Pontifical Commission uh, for the Latin Mass. Yeah, you sent that out. I, I didn't. I do have some thoughts on it, but I didn't read it. Can you summarize? Yeah. So if we can summarize, so essentially what they're looking at doing, uh, a blog was saying, um, a very like credible blog um, out of Rome was saying that they are looking to um, dismantle the uh, Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Day, which was organized by, wasn't that John Paul II? Yep. And he, um, they, they were initially done to try to help Regular, 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 regularize the SSPX. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think they grew up out of. I think there was a. I mean, some sort of multi proprio or document written that was called Ecclesia Day right. that proclaimed its foundations, and this group was kind of given charge over, you know, Latin Mass related issues, and initially the indult form of the Mass that came through Ecclesia Day, but also regulation in the post sumorum pontificum realm so i i think people are justifiably getting a little yeah nervous given the current climate in the church so yeah so essentially what they're looking to do is dismantle the the work of ecclesia day and lump it into the work of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith like because that that was in the that was in the holy apartments <laughs> above the CDF right anyway, um, <laughs> I know I got you I got you but yeah that's that's the the holy holy offices that's what it's called the holy office everything's just speculation and rumor but it's it's not a rumor that nobody likes Latin masses in Rome like that's that's so oh no yeah, they've like, been systematically uh, moved around different times oh, different Italy. churches yeah, yeah they i mean italy is a wasteland for yeah they you went, know they went from like the teens to like they have four now latin masses in all of italy they do have some beautiful latin mass centers like the institute of christ the king's base is in florence italy so i can't complain about that if you're in the florence area but yeah it's not easily accessible nothing like north america really I mean, even we don't have it that great but i guess we have a great compared to some a lot of areas of italy well let's be honest i mean look at the diocese of hamilton right now they've got multiple places where the latin mass is being said all over the diocese now i mean our diocese we have really two consistent places yeah. you know but i mean how many more thousands of people are in italy you know like millions actually probably mm. but yeah it's sad I don't know what to what to really think about the whole thing. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Part of me is is this, are we taking butts right now? Like, is Pope Francis air quote going to dismantle, like, take down the Latin Mass? Is that what, like the boat? What parts of that sentence were the air quotes? Uh, I'm not gonna tell you. Um, the like like a like hundred bucks. Like, he's taking out the Latin Mass in a couple like a year or two, or like, is that what we're getting? At? So that that's one thing. I do, I know Sumorum Pontificum tried to make it clear in Pope Benedict argued that the Latin Mass was never suspended and was was never abrogated, whatever terminology he used. But could, I I mean, what, you, th you think an official abrogation or just if if Sumorum Pontificum, if those provisions were, just, were suspended? They're just going to revoke it. I thought some Italian bishops already talked about that. Yeah, so would priests need permission to say a Mass that has its roots in antiquity? I That is a... That's where we need our, our, our like two hour long podcast on obedience where we would go nowhere and then the end of it would be like well we don't know that's probably how that yeah. goes like obedience is such a 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, if I were a priest, I would, I would probably be laicized. Probably just I would be mm-hmm. like, I'm only saying the Latin Mass, and then that'd be that for me. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. In C- your... Can a priest say a Mass against his bishops, like if his bishop doesn't want him to? I don't know. I mean, he is under obedience. So if a, his bishop says to him, "No, you can't say Mass," but all you can't of, say mass. all obedience like says like for the good of. Whatever. Who well, cares? Who well, cares? Look, but like, look, look at Padre Pio. Padre Pio, right? He was silenced, but he still said the mass. He privately. said privately. He said but, the Latin but, mass. But I mean, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it wouldn't. If a if a regular priest was told he you can only say the 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 Latin mass in private, you know, and you can do no sort of, you know, publicly. I would just do the Latin mass privately. I would just do yeah. Like that's where you have to come to like the. But what if you're a parish priest? And you're under obedience to offer mass for your people. But, like, you're poisoning your people by, like, facing the wrong way and giving them the wrong, like, impression of the sacrifice. And, like, this is where, like, sure. I mean, that's I mean, I mean, any of us would, would definitely say, you know, it's not going to be helpful to the people. But, I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> that's why we're not priests, especially, you know, not going to become priests in a hey, Nova Sorda diocese. I will put out my official, like, if any priest wants to stop saying Mass for our bishop because they don't want to say the Nova Sorda anymore, and then I wouldn't have regular Mass, I'd be okay with that. Um, that's my official position, so. Yeah, that, it's interesting. Is that partly based on your current reading of Private Revelation? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, right? like where he said... I'd rather have wow. I'd rather have a. I'd rather no, no not mass. have mass said in a particular place than my body held by impure hands, unworthy. Hands. He's a different word, but yeah, you know, take that for what it, what you will. But yeah, if I <laughs> well, like if I were a priest, would I ex- like I couldn't do it? So why should I expect my priest to do it? Right, like I don't know. That's hard. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. Maybe I'm just not man enough. But if I was a priest, I, I could not, in this diocese, I could not watch people being forced to stand up after they receive communion when they should instantly be entering into mental prayer. I could not watch people tromp up the aisle in clothing that is not appropriate to be receiving our Lord. And I couldn't watch... Or be silenced if you preach against contraception. Yeah, and, and receive in the hand and, and layman, like self-communion. And that's what receiving from the chalice is. It's self-communion. That's, that's all it is. So I, I couldn't watch all that be done. So no, I wouldn't be able to say the Mass in this yeah. diocese. Chris, yeah. what about you? Dude, I don't. I wouldn't. Like, I, I know that for me, I would not want to... Chris is the most charismatic like guy in the world, by the way. So <laughs> just for everyone to know, he was, like, he was raising his hands before we started this podcast. <laughs> no, like, I, I don't think I would... Like, if I was called to the priesthood, I would only probably join a traditional order there at this point in my life. I mean, things probably would have been different if I was 18 years old. You know, I was definitely... Before I was even thinking, you know, I was called to companion? maybe... St- CFR. Yeah. I was thinking about the CFR. So I wasn't even thinking Carmelite at that time. I was thinking Franciscan. Wow. So take that for what it is. Um, I mean, Father Benedict Rochelle, though. I mean, you, how can you not love that guy? I don't know who that is. You don't know, you know Father Benedict I do Rochelle. know him. And there, there was controversy around some of his statements. He's oh, no was long, there? He's no uh, longer on EWTN. Really? Yeah, because... I just watched him on EWTN like a week ago. No. Really? For reals. Well... I don't want people Googling that, but... Nothing yeah. defiles the marriage bed. Uh, it wasn't quite like that. It wasn't Christopher West. No, sorry. He's still on EWT. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, yeah, it, yeah, I... Yeah, 
but then you look at people like Father Goring, and a lot of good still comes out of that. So I, you know, part of it probably is just me not understanding things properly, but I don't know. There's always yeah, grace, Kevin. right? Like, yeah, obviously. The Lord, the Lord is going to give grace where where he can. He's always giving in abundance. But I'm still convinced, I mean, we've talked about this, that like, for all the good the charismatic movement does, I don't think it's a final destination. No. But, yeah. Uh-uh. Not not a chance, and and that's and I think that's really the point is that any any charismatic Catholics that are really authentically seeking God in their life are going to have to come to grips with there's there's the the well you know is very very shallow in the charismatic movement. Yeah. Um, you have to start looking at the traditional faith, and part of that is because conservatism is being dismantled you, you can't just be a conservative anymore no i mean i know there are conservative charismatics whether or not people think that's a contradiction in terms but um conservatism is progressivism in slow motion and like just the way this this unprecedented situation in the church conservatism doesn't work anymore like what are, what are we trying to conserve now mm. i mean what we're trying to conserve is tradition it's traditionalism there's there's nothing left of this dumpster fire of the last 60 years that can be salvaged i don't think that's where i am at least no i don't i the only thing that i think was really good about vatican II is just the fact that it woke certain lay faithful up to the the reality that they could be involved in the work of evangelization a lot of especially back in the back in the 40s and the 50s the attitude was well that's the priest's job that's not my job um and a lot and there was a lot of talk of that you know it was it was in the hands of the religious or whatever and i think that's in part why things especially in the west began to crumble why christendom began to crumble why divorce became okay you know, divorce became okay long before contraception was okay, um, and I, it's a that in my opinion that that was one of the biggest hits to the United States and, and Canada and the world was legalizing divorce and in, and making it especially no fault divorce. But Chesterton um, has good essays on divorce. But go on. Yeah, but just saying like. Yeah, I think I that that was happening well before the Second Vatican Council and the sexual revolution and all of that. Yeah, and but I, I think Vatican II opening that up to the laity was also a con, a concession that was made because of how far we had fallen. Right? I mean, in medieval Europe, a One ridiculous twenty percent like of people were clerics. Or yeah, and and yeah, so clerics when they get that number, like twenty or probably up to thirty percent, some people would say, but. That was any any man that was tonsured, right? So these people weren't necessarily like deacons or priests, but, you know, they were acolytes, they were exorcists, they were porters. So, like, you know, you had thousands and thousands of people performing these roles. Like, you were steeped in Catholicism. So you couldn't, you didn't really need the laity to, like, be proclaiming this to your neighbors because all your neighbors were fasting with you and they were feasting with you on the feast days and they were going to church with you. And, you know, it, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't a perfect world, but at the height of Christendom, um, we yeah we didn't we didn't really need that. Maybe that's what it is. Like this is the jump. Like now, lady, need to do this again. Yeah. Like, now, like maybe that's what Vatican II is all about. Like 
we we don't have clerics. We never will. The world's going to end before we go back to that. No so, choirs of monks in your average. There's no Latin, choir. Yeah, <laughs> so, Latin mass yeah lady town. need to do stuff like which I agree with. So be holy and whatnot. Yeah, and I guess they were. You know, I, although they were in the clerical state, like these were men that also had other jobs. So although we haven't been tortured. You know, we probably should, there, still should be in the there, world. There was a confraternity that built bridges in medieval Europe. Yeah, that's not that cool. Like, because, right. yeah, like, you know, because. What's it called? The Order of Father James Martin? Or? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> How did they know? They just, they, they all, they had prophecy. Prophecy and build, bridge building. But yeah, anyway, that's just, there's a lot of cool stuff that they did. So. Medievals. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's just that, you know, that it's. I question if things hadn't have become so crazy in the church and, you know, we found that priests and bishops and, you know, religious weren't following away at a rapid rate. Would we have such a, an impetus to do things like a podcast or things mm-hmm. like, you know, in modern times? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's speculative to, to or, that. Or imagine like if we just always had the Latin mass. Would we care? Like, if, if it never went away, would we care? No, I, I you know, people I were kind of lulled into a little state of reverie. Eh? Yeah. Because they, they, in a lot of places, they didn't, they probably didn't appreciate what they had. Yeah. And now you see it's all been taken away. There are whole provinces in Canada where you can barely get to a mass. I mean. A mass, not even a Latin mass. And these places in all the small towns had, like, they're packed to the rafters, these small parishes. I'm thinking where my... My mom was born. The, like, my family out there can't even... Yeah, they can't get to a mass. That was in the East Coast? Yeah, the East Coast has been totally decimated by... In the wake of Vatican II or its spirit. Whatever malicious spirit that was. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's unfortunate. Like, I'm not saying that it was a, a good council. I'm just saying that I, no. I... If anything, we did need that push. Fa- yeah, Father Mark Goring, like... What was his talk today? Did you listen to it? He was just talking about, like, don't... I, I didn't. I don't remember. Oh, right. shoot. It was amazing. Listen to his talk. It was just something... Some Bible quotes about how, like, though I fall, I will stand more gloriously. Like, that... And that's... So he's, like, talking... He's talking he, about the Maccabees again. He was talking... He's always yeah. talking about he killing people. Um, but so he's just saying, like... So he's, like, people, like, don't get worried. Like, God's only doing this for to us. So, like, we, we will, like... We will rise more gloriously. Which is mm-hmm. pretty cool. So like, and I, that's, that's what happened here. Like we had the, the 60s, well, modernism in the twenties or whenever the heck that came up. So it, we were, we will rise more gloriously yeah, before that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it can be hard to see right now, but hey, that's what Christian virtue of hope is. And holy innocence, man. Think the about holy it. innocence. Think They're about praying it. for us. No, uh, I just mean like such an atrocity, like it's going to bring forth good fruit. That's yeah. I mean. Yeah. Okay. They, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're taking that example from their own short, short lives. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for our last thing, whatever. Oh, shit. <laughs> before we go, before we wrap up, we, we have, we have a, we have a, a listener who asks us for tips on how to grow in holiness. She couldn't have come to a better source. For an she has. <laughs> As Aaron says regarding the catechism, the sure norm for the faith. That's is that me? <laughs> yeah. Is that me? Yeah. Congratulations. Theology, theology of the buddy. The um, sure norm for the faith. So yeah. Chris I, and I will come up with examples other weeks. It's your week. Is that my week? Well, I'm just so leery. Okay, so I have been like ho, ho, I, uh, 
What yeah. have you been reading there? It sounds well, like it's been great. Lahodi, The Ways of Mental Prayer. But, like, if I had read this a year or two ago, I wouldn't have... Become a set of Beneplenist? Become a... No, I probably still would have. But I wouldn't... Like, I, I don't know. Like, I would say spiritual reading. That's what I... If I were to give an easy answer, yeah. I would say spiritual reading. Because along my life, I've had buddies who have, have like, God's... God has clearly put them in my way. And, like, books that I was just, like, ready in the moment for this book. And it, and it changed my life horrifically. So, like, read the worst book that you can think of to find. Because, like, those are the ones that hurt the most and that make you change. Like, what Aaron means is <laughs> challenging him. Yeah. That, that is one. He mentioned Lahodi. Father Lahodi, he wrote, the, yeah, The Ways of Mental Prayer. It's a kind of a dry manual that Father Ripperger recommends about how to, the mechanics of mental prayer. Which which I was never taught, right? Like, just yeah. how to, how to and, and this is something, it's really funny. I was reading it and I was listening to a Father Ripperger talk. I have to, like, like, holiness, like, consist is so transformative like i my my intellect has to like be reshifted and just like how i think and how like my emotions respond to like thoughts like so custody of the mind mm -hmm. it's it's a horrible horrible process this 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 holiness it's whole it's it's horrible like i hate it i'm i'm sick of it i'm i'm tired so, <laughs> like uh, so i don't know but yeah so mental yeah. prayer spiritual reading yeah but but like concise and short and like to the point. Don't don't. I, I don't know. So like, what are tips on holiness? Well, no. Wait, I, wait. Oh, the rosary every day. If not, that was that was the first step for me. So like, if this is like a first step, which I don't know. But like the rosary. If you're not praying the rosary every day, then you're going absolutely nowhere, unless you're Eastern, right? But yeah. even then, they should e be praying the rosary. Even then, they should be going. So yeah, it, okay. you know, you got to start somewhere. So. If if you're not ready to learn the mechanics of mental prayer, even something simple like we were talking about at the top of this, like reading about the lives of the saints. Definitely. You know, it, actually, that's another link we should put in. Actually, I, we have there's a website that has, you know, I think it's an 1866 edition, and it has, it's hot linked every day. All the different saints you can go to easily and read Father Butler's original entries with all his wonderful English witticisms and moralizing at the end of every entry. It's great. So. You know that that can kind of inspire devotion in your own life as well. Seeing the way these heroes of the faith lived, yeah, I would agree with that. Or or um, become a Carmelite. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's too. the fastest way. I I would I would say just kind of piggybacking on on your um, comment about just mental prayer in general. Um, don't be afraid to spend time just with your Bible too. Yeah. Um, spending especially time in the Gospels. I usually recommend the Gospel of John. Um, just just as a matter of uh, praying um, and with the scriptures and getting to know who our Lord is in in the word is incredibly effective to to lead you into prayer um, place yourself there um, as you're reading it um, yeah. and and just listen and be quiet before it don't read it fast don't read it like a textbook read it slow don't read the new american bible don't read the new american bible <laughs> or the new jerusalem i love too like going all ambarnard on you but like just like re recollecting all the time especially when you're going through hard times that god is like a person who cares about you and and like it's a real like it's it's not something made up it's like a real relationship so yeah. oh and Montfort Mary Mary's the shortest way to our blessed Lord too yeah. so one one thing I would say if you're going to approach prayer is piggybacking on what you were saying is always remind yourself when you come to do a time of mental prayer 
that it wasn't you who decided to come. It was he who called you to that prayer, you know, that the Lord was calling you to that moment to spend time with him. What, it was, it's his grace. What Carmelite saint said that? Holly Teresa of Avila. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually, if you find Lahodi's, it's, it's funny. Father Ripper recommends that one, but there's another preacher. We're not supposed to use his name, but the one he recommends, this is a hat tip to Chris, is by Peter Rohrbach, and it's called Conversation with Christ. The teaching of Saint Teresa of Avila about personal prayer. So it's a it's a it's a different approach to mental prayer, but you know it's another one that's vouched for by a whole a good traditional priest too. So yeah, spiritual yeah. reading, mental prayer, definitely, Mary. definitely, those are, those foundation. Your, there's your three foot stool. Yeah, if you if you're can I can I can I give a bonus recommendation? Yeah, sure. what is okay. It? If if you don't really understand how to go about spiritual reading. A fantastic book, very easy to read, and you can get it really cheap right now. I believe through Dynamic Catholic is offering it uh, for like five bucks. Um, it's called Into the Deep. It's by uh, Dan Burke. Uh, it's a very bare bones, basic understanding of how to go about uh, learning the uh, prayer of Lexio Divina. Check it out. Um, and like I said, super cheap. Dynamic Catholic is offering it. Uh, for really, really cheap. You can even buy it for all your family members. Will you come out the other side of that book as a charismatic? No, you'll come out of out of it as a as a closet Carmelite. <laughs> <laughs> well, no better note to end on than that. <laughs> awesome. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for hanging. Thanks for having us over. Yeah, we enjoyed Crunchwraps. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was delicious. Just a reminder to everyone uh, to please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Um, also, come on over, hang out with us, in particular with me, on uh, Facebook. Oh, We're, funny questions. We want funny questions. Yeah, we definitely want funny questions. So send that to at Theology of the Buddy on Facebook or Theology of the Buddy at gmail.com. And uh, as always, God bless you guys. We'll see you in the next one. Bye.